0: This is Mormon Awakenings. My name's Jack Nanique. I hope you find something interesting here today. Welcome back. I want to talk about two things today. I want to talk about Lehi. And then I want to talk about funerals. And that may seem to make no sense at all initially. So don't turn the podcast off. Just because there seems to be no connection between Lehi and funerals. Because there is. At least, at least in my own mind anyways. And I hope as we discuss this connection between Lehi and funerals, we'll come to a greater understanding of something that I believe we don't talk about enough in our church, and that is personal authority. So we want to talk about Lehi, we want to talk about funerals, and the nexus between these two is personal authority. So let's first talk about the story of Lehi. And I want to talk about this story because it's so foundational to our community. It's so foundational to our culture. Okay, so so Lehi is living in 600 BC. He receives this vision. And in the vision, he's basically told, look, Jerusalem's going to be sacked. You got to gather up your family and you got to get out of here because when the Babylonians come, everybody's going to be killed and or dragged off into slavery. And when that happens, you don't want to be around. So Lehi goes, tells his wife, tells his kids. They very abruptly pack up and they split. And at this juncture, two archetypes emerge. On the one hand, we have Nephi. And on the other hand, we have Laman and Lemuel. And Nephi, if you recall, he was game. He was on board, eager, ready to go. You know, Dad had a vision? Count me in. Let's go. Laman and Lebu, on the other hand, they were a little more skeptical, a little leery. They called their father visionary, which in Old Testament code means psychotic. They were not so keen on the program, and they were labeled murmurers. They murmured. Now I describe the story of Lehi, Nephi, Laman and Lemuel in this way because I think it's so representative of the dominant vibe inside our community, which is you are either with the program or you are murmuring. You're either, you've either gotten with the program or you're someone who needs to get with the program. And the program itself is kind of a given, just like with this story of Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel. Lehi got the vision, you know, we need to leave Jerusalem. God's told me to do that. He's got a promised land for us. we got to do what he says. You know, that's the program, and that's a total given. And so for Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel, Sam, the choice was either believe this, go along with with this program, or resist the program and murmur. Now, there are a lot of people in our community who even today— are very comfortable with framing the basic decision of participation in the church and its programs in this same way, this very binary simplistic way where the program is given, the program is given by God and our choice as members is to get a testimony of that and then get with the program. And if you can't do that, you're a murmur and it's not a stretch of logic to see that that kind of vibe finds its roots in the story of Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel. Now, in my view, that's a very simplistic reading of this founding story. A, B, since it's so simplistic, it produces a massive amount of dysfunction. And the main dysfunction that it produces is it, it always surrounds what I call playing the Lord card. You know, we have a culture in our church of playing the Lord Lord card. And what what I mean by that is we have a culture inside our church when if there's ever indecision or conflict or or too much debate about a a tactic, a policy, a a doctrine, whatever it is, whoever has the most status, whoever has the, the highest calling, whoever's highest up on the hierarchy, gets to play the Lord card. Let's say, well, this is what the Lord commands. And we teach our people that that's how God works. God has distributed His authority throughout the hierarchy. The final authority to make decisions resides with that hierarchy. And that whatever decision they're going to make, that that's the final inspired decision of God, of the Lord. And we further teach people that if, that if they as individuals get some sort of inspiration that is different, than what the hierarchy, who has the final authority, has decided, then then that is most definitely not of the Lord. And, and anyone har- harboring those type of contradictory views must be murmuring. Now, there's a certain appeal to this, admittedly, right, at at one level. You know what I mean? If God is talking to some guy and telling him what to do, well, it make, makes sense to get behind that guy and listen to him, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's... That's reasonable on its face. No, no one, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not griping about that. You know, as a, as a principle, that makes sense to me. The problem though is that in practice, you know, in the real world, instead of a story in a book, it gets very, it gets very messy. And, and frankly, the story in the book, it got very messy and we can, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But certainly in the real world, in the real church, it gets very messy. And it can get very messy really quickly. And the reason it gets so messy so quickly is because you can never have a real debate with anyone. If you know that should you not be able to come to consensus, they're just going to play the Lord card and call you a murmurer. Now, it's one thing if you're at the Rotary Club or you're at some corporation or something and, and you're having a debate with a superior, your boss. And you can't come to consensus and he says, look, we're going to do it my way because I'm the boss. And and you can say to yourself, that's right. He is the boss or she's the boss and that's life. And when I'm the boss, we can do it my way. But you know, but there's nothing really divine about that, right? It doesn't shake you at your spiritual core when he says that or she says that. On the other hand, if you're in church and and, and you feel strongly about something and you happen to be disagreeing with the consensus and then someone in the hierarchy you know throws the lord card at you it it kind of it kind of rattles you deep down spiritually especially if if the prevailing understanding among the rest of the membership is that this is how god works and then especially further if you're taught if you have any sort of inspirations that are contrary to what the hierarchy is saying to you then they're categorically You know, not from God. Well, that makes you ask some pretty fundamental (laughs) questions about the church, about God, about just what's going on here. And therein lies the danger of giving any human being who's extremely flawed the Lord card. Now, I'm admittedly being histrionic and I'm being hyperbolic. And I'm and I'm doing that to make a point emphatically. And and much of my experience in the church, particularly at the local level, has not been like this where you're feeling bossed around by people exercising unrighteous dominion. Still, I've also had experiences with, you know, leadership above the local level, and my experience has been the higher you go, the more authoritarian it gets. And the more often the Lord card is played. Also, I think we're all blind if we don't notice that this that this vibe is pervasive, through, pervasive throughout all the culture of the church. And sometimes it will chill how candid and authentic our youth will be with us. Because they have already picked up this vibe of getting with the program or being labeled a murmurer. You know, and nobody wants to be the murmurer. And so, you know, people start putting their masks on at a pretty early age in our church because of this vibe. Now, now I I recognize too that a lot of this is just life in general. It's not, it's not, uh, unique to our church. You know, this happens in families. It happens at schools, you know, wherever there's a, a, a strong dominant culture, it happens because there's always a group. And, and a consensus, and if you're not kind of getting along, then you're viewed as some sort of outsider slash quasi-threat. Yet our community has its own version of this, and a lot of the the flavor of it comes from the story of Lehi, Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel you know, leaving Jerusalem. And I think it's a problem, and I think it creates a bit of dysfunction that we've talked about. Now, I want to make a second critical point at this juncture. I've been talking all about the Lord card and the program and all this sort of stuff, murmuring, because I want to make something very explicit. I agree that murmuring can be massively detrimental to your mental and your spiritual health, regardless of how justified it might be. Now, I want to be clear, and I want to say this the right way. If you have a different opinion than someone who's playing the lord card. It's not right for them to label you a murmurer in return. Likewise, if if you're struggling with parts of the program and you're not with some or part of the program, it's not cool to be labeled to be labeled a murmurer. That that's that's dysfunctional. You have a right to your opinion, you have a right to express your opinion, and in my view, you can't be called a murmurer for for doing those sort of things, particularly if it's proactive. But sometimes we engage in real murmuring. Okay, the real act. And whether or not anyone catches that and calls us a murmur is another thing altogether. But sometimes we're just engaged in murmuring. And I sort of hate this word for all the reasons we just talked about. It's, it's such a provocative word and it triggers us, many of us. But still there's something about, about being negative, standing off to the side and criticizing and mocking kind of under your breath, but not really facing someone. All these things that murmuring implies. And it all adds up to one thing in my view, which is being a victim, being a victim and being helpless, being negative and being sneery, sneering those things, regardless of what's going on with some leader, with the program, with the consensus of the majority, those things hurt you deep down at a spiritual level, I believe. And if you engage in murmuring as, as I define it this way, then you also rob yourself of, of the only antidote against the the misuse of the Lord card. And that's personal authority. And I want to go back to Laman and Lemuel and their murmuring to make this point a little clearer. In my view, Laman and Lemuel had every right to ask the question, Dad, are you being psychotic instead of being a prophet? They had every right to ask, Okay, Dad, you said you had this vision. Are we sure that's the way God talks to people? Does he really just lay out a plan like that? They had every right to ask all these questions. They had every right to ask about the tactics along the way. You remember those tactics, right? Those decisions incrementally made, like let's go back and get the plates. Let's go back and get the family of Ishmael to come things that Laman and Lemuel were not always totally on board with. They had every right to question and ask and to think about. But what they failed to do, in my view, is that whenever the answer came back from Lehi or later from Nephi, that they didn't necessarily agree with, they never once exercised their personal authority to to just do what they thought was best. They exercised their personal authority exactly zero times. They could at any point said, okay, dad, we understand that you feel you've had this vision. We disagree. And so let's let bygones be bygones. No hard feelings, all water under the bridge, but we're going back to Jerusalem now. Goodbye. They could have exercised their personal authority that way. Or they could have said, dad, you know, Nephi. We've talked to you about these visions. We we think that you're psychotic. We just would like you to know that. But we're going to stay here and support you because we love you. And we're going to endure your psychoses out of love. You know, and now you think, well, that's, people don't do that. But they do do that. People do that in marriages. Parents do that with children. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. But I'm just saying that's another form of exercising your personal authority. But what they did instead was they got, they griped and moaned and complained and turned completely negative. And they were basically lost in the, this really blows cycle. My life sucks. I'm a victim. And when you're thinking that way, you've lost your agency. You've ceded it to someone else. And if you repress your inner conflict long enough, then you start to blame other people for how you're feeling. And when you start to blame other people, then the conflict grows and grows. And then eventually what happened to Laman and Lemuel is they turned into would-be murderers. They never once said to themselves, we don't have to do this anymore. We can pack up, take a couple camels, and head back to the empty house in Jerusalem. They never exercised their personal authority. Now, this is a little different view than what you hear in Sunday school or what you hear from the old-timers who've been in the church for 80 years. The typical view is that Laman and Lemuel were so terrible because they never got their own testimony of Lehi and Nephi. And I'm just not quite sure how, how it is an issue of testimony. Other people will say, well, they did exercise their personal authority. They exercised it very unrighteously, and they wanted to take over the group, and they tried to, you know, force their views on... Nephi and Lehi who were inspired by God and what are you talking about they didn't exercise their personal authority they did they were just unrighteous I mean I certainly agree that the repressed conflict that they felt eventually took them over and and they became you know psychotic themselves they became murderers and I think the negativity that had filled their souls completely blocked any inspiration that was to be had but what I'm trying to say is I don't think they ever fundamentally said, okay, these are two guys who seem to look at what we ought to do a certain way based on their experiences and, and who they are. But we're two guys, Laman and Lemuel, we're two people too, and we have a little authority to decide for layman and Lemuel what we're going to do. You know, we've all heard little kids say, you're not the boss of me, Right? And they say that to grownups who aren't their parents, or they say that to their older siblings who aren't the parents who are trying to boss them around. And what they mean is, you you can't tell me what to do. You have no authority to tell me what to do. Laman and Lemuel could have at any time said, hey, Lehi, Nephi, you're not the boss of me. I may not be the boss of you, but you're certainly not the boss of me. And what we're going to do is head out. Instead, they got lost in griping and complaining and moaning that, golly, They're supposed to be the heirs. And gee, here, we're stuck out here with these guys. Why are we, oh, they're not being nice to us and they're not listening to us. And and the reason I put it that way is that's what we do. When we gripe about church culture or church decisions or policies that are happening that we don't like, we gripe and moan and complain and boo-hoo, what was us, when really we need to exercise a little bit of personal authority and say, I understand that the leader's saying that, but he's not the boss of me. What would have happened if Laman and Lemuel would have done that? I think then God is happy because there's some sort of action happening and then the spirit can intervene, but the spirit cannot intervene into the mind of someone whose main thought is, my life sucks. I hate everyone. It can intervene. When we stand up and we say, you know, I have I have to take care of myself and do what I think is right. No, I'm not saying doing that is easy. I'm not saying exercising personal authority is a, a snap, a walk in the park. It's not. And sometimes the exercise of personal authority comes in the form of just surrendering totally to things that are completely out of your control. And there's been a lot of great literature written by people like Viktor Frankl for example that talk about surrender surrender to things out of your control as a form of personal uh, as a form of exercising personal authority but the fact is exercising personal authority is fundamentally different than sitting around griping and complaining about how much something stinks you know exercising personal authority means that you realize Gee, I don't have to do something I really don't want to do. And so if I'm going to do it, why am I going to do it? And as you do that, realizing that no one else is the boss of you, you're the boss of you. You may not be the boss of anyone else, but you're at least the boss of you. And if you can change your mind frame, you may find that it's a lot easier to go along with things that you heretofore have found odious. Well, that's a paradoxical outcome indeed. Now, at this juncture, you may be saying, that's all fine, that's all well and good, but what the heck does that have to do with two funerals? Well, the reason I'm speaking so emphatically about the evils of murmuring, in spite of my empathy about how misuse of the Lord card makes us feel, because I felt the pain and regret of murmuring and felt how debilitating murmuring is in parts over the course of two funerals. The first funeral was the funeral of my maternal grandfather, and the second funeral was my father's funeral. Let me start by describing my grandfather. My grandfather was a force of nature, and that's an understatement. He was physically strong. He had a loud voice. He had big, strong hands. He was full of certitude. He always knew what to do. And when he when he was moving forward, if you were in his way, you know, beware. He completely dominated the family life of his children and his grandchildren. And he had strong opinions about everything, everybody, who we should date, what we should study, everything. And he shared these opinions most emphatically all the time. Well, I grew up about a mile from this grandfather and I knew him quite well and I liked him. I mean, we, we got along and we had a lot of good times. You know, we renovated the basement of my parents' house together. He was in his retirement years during that time. He still had a massive amount of energy. You know, he'd taken us on trips, fishing trips. You know, he was, you know, we, we knew him and I knew him well at his funeral I had a very strange reaction, which was all I could feel was relief, which which kind of surprised me because like I said, I, I liked him. It's not like I disliked him. I liked him and we, and we were close, but when he died, I felt this massive weight being lifted off my shoulders and I felt kind of guilty about feeling so relieved you know, as they were lowering his casket into the grave, I remember looking around at all my cousins, my siblings, my aunts and uncles. They were all there that, you know, the extended family and everybody's blubbering. And I and I just felt that I was finally free. And I felt kind of guilty about feeling that way. But, you know, as I thought more about it over the ensuing weeks and months, I mean, it, be, it became obvious why I was feeling that way. And it's because over the years I had made many decisions to please this grandfather of mine, to make him happy. I'd study things in college that I thought would make him happy, and pursued certain things that I felt he he expected of me. You know, this is pretty typical for people whose parents or grandparents are really dominant. You know, when we're when we're younger. In our teen years, our formative years, it's hard to exercise your own personal authority. And I was no different. And he was a massive influence on me. And and I ended up sacrificing things that maybe I really wanted to do things that he really wanted for me. And so when he died, I just felt relief. You know, and as I thought about this over the ensuing weeks and months and, and years even, I also realized how kind of full of bitterness and resentful I was of him, and that this resentment had had masked me in a way it was a form of murmuring and and it robbed me of my ability to exercise any personal authority. You know that this resentment was a was stunted me that it was an evil in and of itself, and since I was never exercising any personal authority, I really wasn 't making any decisions for myself. I was kind of like a, a zombie or a robot, just kind of You know, reacting to my conditioning. No, in in my defense, you know, I was, it was during my formative years, I was making a lot of these decisions. And, you know, he was this sage-like older guy who had all this massive experience and success. And so I was, you know, he was exercising a little undue influence on me for sure. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't quite tantamount to exercising the Lord card, but it, you know, it got close. You know, and part of life as you grow and mature is learning that you even have any personal authority. So my experience wasn't that unusual. I don't want to make it sound like it was so unique, but the realization that I had harbored so much resentment towards him and, and, and had been so blinded by this resentment, which was deep that I really wasn't exercising my own agency and making decisions for myself. I never realized along the way that making him happy was not necessarily going to make me happy. So, so when I finally did become aware that 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 was what was really happening and how debilitating that whole thing was, well, it was it was really a, a profound shock. It was really, a, you know, a hard and regretful realization. Yet, it was a lesson that I remember to this day. You know, if I want to get deeply philosophical about it. I can even tell myself at this point, the reason, one of the reasons he was in my life and was such a strong influence on me, you know, in good or bad ways, however you want to think about it, was that when I finally did learn this lesson, it would be unforgettable. That realization began at my grandfather's funeral. And the second part of this lesson came to me around the time of my father's funeral. My father died about 10 years after my grandfather. And if there was a yin to my grandfather's yang, my father was that yin. He was a steady man. He was not a whirlwind of energy. He was not full of certitude. He did, he was not arrogant about his pioneer heritage. He was not dogmatic. You know, he, did, he when we had family dinners, it wasn't all about him. He was very tolerant about the decisions his children were making, where we would study, who we were dating, what we would do with ourselves. He had a deep confidence that everything was going to be fine in the end. He was never pushy. He never exercised unrighteous dominion. He never—he certainly never came close to playing anything that remotely resembled the Lord card in any shape or fashion. He knew he had a difficult father-in-law. He knew his the rest of his in-laws could be difficult from time to time. But he had exercised his personal authority to get along, to go along. That's what he chose to do. And he was at peace. And when he died, he was quite at peace. Well, Well, his funeral was very life-affirming, which also kind of surprised me because he was more of a mild-mannered guy, but it was so life-affirming and such a positive experience. I expected his funeral to be kind of a maudlin affair because I I had great affection for my father, and we were close, and we have very similar personalities, I think. You know, we had good chemistry, so I expected it to be kind of sad and maudlin, but it was very life-affirming. It was very touching and, and inspiring and wonderful. And funerals can be like that sometimes. And the other thing that surprised me was how many people came out To the funeral and told me how kind he had been, how wonderful he'd been in doing simple things like listening to them, sharing a joke with them, expressing some empathy. And they all told me how, how happy he always was. He was happy. Well, he, he was someone who had learned, unlike me, how to exercise his personal authority. You know, he was very comfortable in his skin and he knew He didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do, but he chose to do certain things for good reasons that made sense to him. He also in the process surrendered to a lot of things that were just out of his control and he didn't worry about them, but it was always a proactive decision. He never got weighed down with negative griping, complaining. He was never blinded by his own inner conflict. And when my father died, he died full of peace and a sense of well-being. Now I know for a fact he didn't totally agree with everything the church did, every policy decision made. He didn't agree maybe with every even with with every doctrine, but he knew deep in his heart that he could leave any time he wanted. Yet he chose to stay for very good reasons. Maybe it was because the cost of leaving, leaving was just too high. Maybe it was because it would be too disruptive on his family. Maybe it was because, who knows? But he, but he explicitly went through that thought process and chose and exercised his personal authority to, to make his own decision. He didn't stay and complain. And the things that were beyond his control surrendered to. He had learned how to exercise his personal authority. And I realized that around the time of his funeral, a little bit after his funeral and having it be such a life affirming experience helped me realize that. And it helped me grow up a little bit and begin to exercise my own personal authority. Well, these two men, And their lives came together to teach me a very important principle about murmuring. And how murmuring is devastating. And that the antidote for murmuring is personal authority. And freedom comes from that. And if you can start to exercise a little personal authority, regardless of what people around you are doing or saying, or regardless of how much of the boss of you they think they are, If you exercise a little personal authority, you'll find the spirit comes pouring in to guide you, absolutely pouring in. Well, that was a deeply profound lesson for me to learn. And it's also not something that we teach a lot about, but we should. Well, I've gone on too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. Until next time.